from the Justin Lumen Sprint Centre at the Australian Institute of Sport. It's the Rugby League Cemetery. This is the Rugby League Cemetery. Very good to have you with us for episode six. Uh, and we are delving today. We're going right up the back of the graveyard uh, to places nobody dares to go. Uh, we're not going that far back in time, only to 1999. But today, it's not a grand final. It's not a preliminary final. It's not a final at all. It's not even a match that's particularly well remembered by anybody who doesn't follow the South Sydney Bunnies. But it is 1999, round one. South Sydney 16, Canterbury 14. And uh, the reasons we've chosen this match will become clear over time. But uh, just to set the scene for you, Canterbury, of course, had made the grand final in 1998. They'd come from low in the top eight, or in the top 10 as it was then, goodness me, to get through to the grand final, got knocked off by Brisbane. But having been runners-up, they managed to sign Ricky Stewart and Brad Clyde in the off-season from the Raiders. They'd been moved on because of salary cap pressure. Uh, As for the Bunnies, well, they'd finished 18th. In 1998, they won five games. They finished four points behind the Rams. They only beat the Chargers and the Western Suburbs Magpies home. They were in desperate trouble. And they came into this game basically not having a hope in Haiti. But uh, as we'll discover over the next goodness knows how long, that's not quite how it worked out. Gazzy, I don't know about you, but I quite enjoyed this. Yeah, look, uh, I think I I did as well, but it says more about us than it does about the game. (laughs) You talk about being right up the back of the graveyard. There's a sense that some things are best left, not dug up. Uh, best left, let sleeping dogs fly. And that might, might be the case when uh, looking over, uh, over this game. But uh, I speak in jest. I, I enjoyed it. It was very different to what we've been covering. And um, look, I don't have much more to add for, of what you said about the summation of the game other than to point out they also added Darren Smith, the yes. Bulldogs. So... Uh, what a system we lived in at reunification. We spoke about the top 10 and all these bizarre things that went on. Isn't that a system there where you've come out of Super League war, you've reunified and you have a salary cap system where a team can make the grand final and add Ricky Stewart, Bradley yeah. Clyde and Darren Smith, all of whom are test level players, two of which are in the conversation. You know, when you talk best of all time in their positions, they're on the list. Brad yeah. Clyde is arguably at the top of the list and Ricky Stewart certainly is on every list of best halfbacks going around ever. And um, yeah, so you then play South in round one. What do you think happens? Who's your money on? Yeah, well, exactly. And, and we, we posited this on, on Facebook uh, a couple of days ago and put the two teams up. I might, if you'll indulge me, Gazzy, I just want to read the two teams out. I think it's important to get this on the record, on the hands up. I'll indulge you. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, Souths, Craig Wing at fullback, Lumens and Hookie on the wings, Brett Rodwell, Jason Nickel in the centres, Harves, Andrew Doonham and Daryl uh, Trindle. Front row, Matt Parsons, Mark Carroll, hooker, Sean Garlick. Second row, Tony Iroh, Jimmy Smith, Jeremy Schloss. Bench, Chris Caruana in two kinds, Dan Rubin, Paul McNicholas and uh, Troy Slattery. Coached by Tucker Coleman. Now the Bulldogs, previous year's runners-up, Rod Silver, Gavin Lester, Steve Hughes, Darren Smith, Daryl Halligan, Corey Hughes, Ricky Stewart, Darren Britt, Jason Hetherington, Beth Tooker, thanks very much, Troy Stone, Steve Price in the second row, Brad Clyde, Glenn Hughes on the bench, Robert Ralph, Barry Ward, Steve Reardon, Willie Talau, and Steve Fuchs. How many people do you think, 
I, I, I would love to get a market on this game. I'd love to know what South were paying going in. Not enough. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> they were was. paying, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a bit like that, isn't it? I, I went through and looked at not just the kind of state the Bunnies were in going into this game, but what kind of state they were in in the 90s generally. And, of course, it's hard to talk about this game without talking about Super League and all of that. I'm sure we'll do a bit of this, but I just want to just bring you um, a bit of a stat. Now, the Bunnies finished, they won the minor premiership in 1989, made the preliminary final. Mm. From there, this is their record in the 90s. 1990, 16th. 
should have retired but hasn't sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of, they did look like they might've been the legend side running around. Yeah. There, it's, so a, it's, it's, yeah. Very, yeah. it's very, it's very slow. It's very yeah. slow. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's, yeah. it's very spare parts, isn't it? It's the, the, oh, yeah. the South side. Like it's really cobbled together. Yeah. Um, but it didn't deter Rabs though. Did you get on to uh, when they run out? Rab says, here's the South Sydney side. Pretty strong one it is too. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. I don't know if it was based on the front row because Paso was reasonably wrapped and they had Spud coming back from the London Broncos, which is a sort of a mark. Like people coming back from England are well known to really sort of kick on with it. Really it's, kick on, yeah. But, yeah. but we, I, I don't know. if he, I, That was probably the strength, I guess, if you sort of only read eight to ten. You had them and Gallo's pies in the middle there. You might have yeah. Yeah, that's true. Can we talk a little bit about Spud Carroll? I, I've got a number of Spud Carroll moments in this game written in, in capitals. Mm. And, and I, I'm glad you brought this up because he played for Manly in 97. He quits mm. the NRL, quits Australian football, goes to the Super League to play for London Broncos. I can't imagine Super League was particularly strong in 1998, given that the NRL had 20 clubs and anyone who'd ever laced a boot on was getting a first grade contract. Mm. Um, and he comes back. He's sensational in this game. Yeah, he had a good game, didn't he? Um, he did play well. I've got a few notes on him too. I think first and foremost, uh, whilst he did play well, that is overshadowed by the fact that he did one of my favourite things you can do in rugby league, which is the Adam McDougall, which is the collar in. He tucked his yes. collar in. Um, there's nothing, there's no better look in the game than having a collar on a collar on a cotton, particularly. It doesn't look as good now if you have a collar, but on the cotton ones, there's nothing you can do better than tuck the collar in. I think it's a very strong look. It just says you're a bit, bit off key. Who was the, who, yeah, you're a bit, you're thinking about it a bit too much or looking for that yeah, one percent advantage. It's, it, it's yeah, in just the, a bit weird. It's in the category of Ray Price looking at the goalposts when the, someone's yeah. taking a kick and that kind of thing. Which Spud Carroll also does, by the way. That's right. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's true. 97, yeah. Who was the last person? I know that you don't see many jerseys with collars anymore. Who was the last player to tuck their collar in? Was it the Mad Dog? Has there been one since since him? Well, the Peach also did it in Origin, but it might be the same year because it might be the same jersey. Ah. But um, when did the Peach play? It would have been around 2000. He played and played one series, but he did it. And I reckon it might have been, if not the same series, it might have been just earlier than Mad Dog or just after, but they're the last two I can think of because cotton jerseys disappeared, I think, from origin at about then and they were phased out at about... South and the Knights wore them in 99. We still wore one. Um, And then I don't think anyone else did, but if they did, I don't think it lasted the next year. So, unfortunately, you really robbed of the opportunity to tuck your collar in. Yeah, that might be it. I mean, not many jerseys now have collars and the ones that do, they're quite short. Mm. It's almost like, you see... New age rubbish, yeah. Exactly. And and these propeller heads in you know, design at ISC and all this have robbed us of the collar in look yeah. by, by designing it. It's been run out of the game by these. Yeah, well, they by haven't them. robbed. Yeah. They haven't robbed us of doing it at the pub. Like obviously we've no, kept right. it alive for obviously. many years afterwards, but yeah, I still do. Uh, yes, certainly you'd like to see Mark Carroll in the modern game, tucking your collar in it. Would bring, you'd like to think it'd bring fans back. Did you used to do it when you played? Um, yeah, I did once or twice, but not often. I was, yeah. I was very bad. I sort of had other things worried about, like catching the ball and stuff. I was sort of oh, I, really bad at those things. But no, I did once or twice, yeah. Can I, can I exclusively reveal I did it every game? From yeah, about... Good. From, did as you play a, hooker? Yes, and never got tackled. Because yeah, you, you can't get tackled. You can't get yeah. tackled at hooker in, in junior football, uh, pretty much. And no, I did it every game. Just because I thought, it, you know, it was a, it was a lot. For an edge. Yeah. yeah, just for an edge. And it shows a bit of professionalism on the other side. Like this bloke's thought about this. 
Um, Jeez, he'd be dangerous that, at dummy half. He'd be on the oh, tip sheet if I was coaching against him. Yeah, that illusion disappeared fairly quickly. Mm. But anyway, um, <laughs> but <laughs> there's a another another good thing about the south side, which I think bears mentioning. Um, in the pre-game, Vossi, you talk about Tricky Trindle. Vossi mentions that he's their primary goal kicker. Um, didn't have a kick last year, um, but his first choice today hasn't kicked since 1997, and his career record's 61%. It's good, that. Uh, yeah, well, it sort of goes back to it, doesn't it? Because for South, like goal kicking, we've talked a lot about goal kicking, and everyone kicked like that in the 80s. And in the 90s, the game moved forward, and you sort of the results sort of show you South didn't really ever move out of the 80s until they came back from being kicked out. They sort of were stuck in a time loop <laughs> back then. And, you know, like, you could kick at 61% in 1990. You can't kick at 60% in 1999. No, not um, really. It, it's, yeah, in a bit of a time warp. But, yeah, it, it was good to see Tricky, though. I, I love Tricky, and I'm sure we'll have more Tricky chat. He's a, he was a wonderful player. I really enjoyed watching him. That sort of player you don't see much of anymore. Guys just sort of playing off the top of the head, trying stuff on. At halfback, sort of, particularly. Yeah. yeah, you might see it somewhere else. You don't see a lot of halfback. Preston Campbell might be the last guy that played in the halves that sort of jinked around and did weird stuff like that that wasn't really running any game plan. He'd be the last good one, wouldn't he? Play like that? Yeah, probably. Sort of, I think. Yeah, he, yeah that's, that's off probably the cuff, right. jinking around. Yeah. Yeah, it was, he was very much tricky, was very much. And you see a bit of this in footy in the 90s that kind of what, seeing, just playing, seeing what's on. I'll just run sideways for a bit, see if a gap opens up, you know. Yeah, yeah, which they clever did. enough to do it. Yeah. They're coached not to do anymore. Yeah. Mm. Um, when as they run out, Rabs says the bunnies locked in a battle for survival. Um, and, and we mentioned Super League a little bit that in the week before they 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 say that in the week before the game, George Piggins put an appeal out. Uh, South fans, we need you to get to the game. We need to send a message to the league, not to, basically not to kick us out. Um, they, they, they must have. There must have been a feeling of real stakes around this game, right? Like it's it's you and I have been to a, a lot of football and a lot of games that feel like they're really important, but I don't think there's ever been a you know you, it's a rare instance where you can't say there's always next year because if South flop in nineteen ninety nine, there's no there isn't one. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, they didn't respond. That's for sure. Uh, the you crowd, know, no. No, there's no one there. Uh, the players did. They're fantastic. But the, mm. the crowd, no, no one showed up. Um, but it's the, it's the old thing in rugby league, isn't it? For, for whatever reason, uh, on-field results at the time that these things happen is everything. You can't be going bad when they suddenly want to cut teams. Uh, that's yeah. usually what happens when they want to rationalise. They want to move clubs. They never really look further back than the last couple of years, do they? You, you know, on field. Every time you read in the Telegraph and they're talking about losing a team from Sydney the last 10 years, it's always been the Tigers because they were struggling. They don't look at much yeah. else. Cronulla were always in the firing line, but they were winning. So no one talked about Cronulla. And, yeah. you know, it, it'll, if after the coronavirus, it happens again. They'll look down the bottom of the table and it'll be the Sydney club that's, you know, not winning that no, they put on the, on the firing line. Yeah, and, and that's what happened. South, unfortunately... Uh, we're a very proud club that that every club's had a bad period of time um, and they had one at a time that you can't afford to. They had 10 years of really bad football at a time where the game was looking to, to cut it down. And it's, it is hard to imagine. Um, we've played as bad as that South team as a Knights fan. We've had years we've yeah. been that bad, but no yeah. one wants to kick Newcastle out. So it's very no. hard for me to understand going and thinking if we don't win today and don't beat Ricky Stewart and Bradley Clyde, we might not be playing again. It's Yeah. yeah. 
we're, we're playing. To, you're not just playing to win. You're playing to, for the club to survive. To, yeah. to, you know, to not be gone forever. It, it's. It must have been incredible for the um, the people that did show. The crowd is. Um, I mean, it's kind of typical of the time, I guess, in a way. But um, nine thousand six hundred and seventy-three. But the thing about this is that, and we talk about the kind of these two timelines going at the same time. The night before this was the double header at the at the Olympic Stadium, the opening of the Olympic Stadium with, I think for memory, Newcastle and Manly and Parramatta and St George. Um, good day. Good day. A very good day. But, you know, there would have been, I'll find out how many people were there that day, but, um, I mean, there would have been hundreds of people there, right? Like it was, we've, you've got 9,000 going to watch Souths. You might have had seventy or 80,000 going to watch, oh, 104,583. At the Sydney, at really? Stadium, Australia, really? yeah. yeah. Well, that'd be the record, wouldn't it? Because they cut it down after the Olympics. Like they cut yeah, well, I think they got 107 for the grand final that year. Ah, okay. and that was it. Yeah, but 105,000 on Saturday night, and then and that's yeah. that's new football in the eyes of the administrators, right? Like that's where it's supposed to be going. Yeah, big state, big flashy stadium, hundreds of thousands of like people turning up, and then on the other hand, you've got poor old Souths on Sunday getting 9,000. Um, they're not you know the ground a quarter full yeah and look it's it's funny because you know they wanted to put it on south and they got them out of the competition but you can look for the next 10 years the 10 years before and you can look for the next 10 years after and that ten thousand at an empty stadium watching sydney teams play plays a lot closer to what still happened and yep. still happens now than hundred thousand watching a double header um so very much out of, out of not what not in, in with the game but Look, yeah, it's a, it's a very funny set of circumstances. The, the crowd looks terrible. It's funny because I didn't check the number. I wanted to hear you tell me because mm. I just couldn't think. It's it's those big stadiums. They, I, I don't want to get on my high horse about suburban grounds because some of them are not great and stuff, but it's it just looks empty. The, yeah. the stadium, like, looks empty. And 10,000 isn't a, a disgraceful crowd, but it's a disgraceful crowd to put in big stadiums. And they do it all the time and they still do it. It might be 13 now, not 10, but the stadiums don't look good like that. Yeah. And you know who won't draw them. You can't put that error of South. Or these days you can't put, you know, one of the bottom Sydney clubs against the Titans in these stadiums and expect them to fill up. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't it look is, good. Yeah. And that would have been, this, this game would have been a totally different occasion if it had been held at say Redfern or somewhere like that. Um, mm. Same but, crowd looks good. Yeah. Like it doesn't yeah, look that bad at Redfern. And it's yeah. intense and everyone's close together yeah. and making a racket. I know that's not, that's not allowed anymore, but um, yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? Um, the making racket's a, a good a good little segue for me. So one thing I really wanted to note before we jump into the game was that this is the first game that I've heard um, through the airways. I've heard the blah blahs a wanker chant go up several <laughs> times during that game. And it's probably because we did a South Bulldogs game. There's a certain uh, yeah, element yeah. of who may have been in the crowd, but I'm pretty sure I couldn't work out at one point whether it was Tricky or Ricky or both. They're possibly like rivals. Both here. sides, both given at yeah, the same time. Yeah. yeah. And there was definitely some Hamstead. So I, I, I was pleased because that sort of accords with everything. Having gone to a lot of rugby leagues as a child, that is what rugby league was like in the That's 90s. Right. It's a real shame they don't do it now. People don't but, do yeah. that chant anymore. Dun, 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 no, dun, dun. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, when did when did it stop? You know. They, 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 yeah. But, yeah. Some Brock lecture money in that. Absolutely, there is. That's another one. There, yeah, there you go. Um, isn't it? Isn't it funny how little whip there is before the game about Ricky Stewart and Brad Clyde playing for another club? Like, if you thought if that happened today, and if you had you think about what happened when Cooper Cronk went to the Roosters, for example, 
and how much kind of talk and hype and whip and pre-game there was around it. He just kind of runs out in this well, quite game. Quite seriously. Yeah, quite seriously. To, to try and put that in modern terms, if three years ago, yeah. uh, at the end of his career, if Jonathan Thurston and Jason Talmalolo mm. had signed with a Sydney club, uh, yeah. signed with... And the Bulldogs made the grand final. So let's, let's give them East and say they went to East or Manly or something like that. Like Manly, yeah. you know, made the finals last year. Let's say East. Like they've got a team from the grand final, signs Jason Talmalolo and Jonathan Thurston. Yeah, I think it'd, it'd be getting some pre-game and some chat. Yeah, there's just not... They, he, there's a, they show him on camera when he runs out. They mention it in passing, but there's no... The, if that was today, the whole game would be seen... The whole game would be commentated and viewed through the prism of this, this big kind of narrative about this guy going to a going to a new club after a long time. The um, heen red button would be on. We'd have the red button yeah, to watch every move Ricky made. Yeah. You would have I reckon you would have been fairly keen on a Ricky Stewart red button. Oh yeah. Well yeah. I was watching it through that lens anyway, but yeah, I would have I would have definitely that and a Gavin Lester button if there was one I would have been really on for. Well that <laughs> brings us neatly into the game because one of the first things that happens in this match uh, is that the Bulldogs bringing back now as we know, there are only two categories of Bulldog sides. Mm. Bringing back the dogs of war, and bringing oh, back yeah. the and bringing back the, the entertainers. entertainers. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, the, the 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 this doggy side very early on in the first game of the season, they put they run they they nail their colours to the mast. They're bringing back the entertainers. They I want think to if you Ricky Stewart. Yeah, you, you're going for the entertainers, aren't you? Yeah, and and they start spreading the ball on their own line for really no reason in the first few minutes of the game. Mm. Yeah, Ricky. Um, it, it does a quite a bad pass at one point where he, I think he falcons um, Darren Britt his own try line for no reason. But um, it, he plays with lovely width. You don't see anyone play with that width anymore. Oh. Like, oh, he's just lovely. He gets the ball. Like, he, he just plays this beautiful way of just going, let's go him over there. Let's do it over here. And just beautiful passing. It's really nice. The, the, um, I think the Johns has copied him a lot. They did a bit of that around the turn of the century. There were a lot of fizzing. Joey didn't do it as much later, but at that time they used to fizz the ball like that. It's not throwing these speculative long cutouts in the line you see now or the big umbrellas. It's just early going, you know what? Like, let's get it over there and do something. Just a few passes yeah. wide, get it away from the traffic and run a play where it's a bit less congested. And that they were um, really, you know, it didn't always work in this game and he was new, but it was... I love it. It's really different to watch. I'd like to watch some more Ricky Stewart games. And, and I think a lot of clubs could, could do with, with learning that. A lot of guys have, you know, Penrith, for example, you've got Kikau out on an edge or um, yeah, yeah. the Roosters when they had Latrell Mitchell. Just this idea of just, just getting it and just going, well, instead of taking the hit up here, let's just go a couple wide and see if there's a bit of room and we can run and just the see what there. And just see yeah. what happens, right? Like you don't, need right. To know yeah. what, you don't need to know the end result. Because every now and again, Latrell Mitchell, for example, is just going to be a bit better than whoever's marking him and he's going to go past him. You don't have to design a way to him, for him to do it. Just give him the ball with enough time to do something. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's and, and right. Ricky the made a career of that, that stuff. Mm. Yeah. And Ricky, Ricky made a real career because he played in teams where that suited him very well. He always had, you know, Belcher or, or Mullins and then, you know, like his wingers, Madruka and Nagus later in, in the middle of his career and Mal and, and Ruben Wiki and Clyde. So he always had guys out there and he developed his game to suit that sort of football. And, um, you know, that, that's a lot what you want. It's sort of similar to Cronk today in a way, or different styles of players, but players that bring out other footballers. Um, yeah. Where it's not always the highlight play from Cronk, or in this case, Stewart. It's the fact that they, you know, Create Stewart's the game was to get it wide. Yeah. yeah. Put it out there and give the guy the, the ball and give him a chance to use his skill. And Cronk's a, a different player, but it's similar where they're making other guys very good. Or, or lovely bringing stuff. out their talent. 
Yeah. yeah, he's got a lovely style, Ricky, doesn't he? The way he passes and kicks, it's all very technically sound. He's very, I, I mean, I guess it's a rugby union thing as much as anything else. But it, yeah, he's very, um, very pretty. He's mm. quite pretty to watch. Yeah. Mm. Um, why is Daryl Halligan so slow? That's another, um, you know, sort of Brock Lecture question. Um, I don't have much time for him. If he's not kicking goals, I must say. Um, yeah. You know, like how Masary came after him was at least sort of like a good at finding the line and a bit slippery. You know what I mean? Like he was a goal mm. kicker only, but he had a few strings. He could a bit slippery. Like Halligan was really, I tell you what, if he didn't kick goals, he wouldn't be playing first grade. He looked really he slow taking that intercept off. Yeah. He, he looked really slow taking that intercept off his Euro in 91. This is the third yeah, game we've watched yeah. with Halligan. That By yeah. eight years later, the, the eight years haven't done him any good. I don't get no. the sense he was on the track with the Sprigs. You know, there's a real sense that he, <laughs> he hasn't got any quicker. <laughs> No, no, and he couldn't really afford to lose much either. You know, there wasn't he doesn't, a lot, he, he lot to lose. No, and, and you're right. He doesn't do anything in the game. Like he has no involvement other than kind of he goes back to retrieve a couple of kicks, turns around and kind of zimmer frames back to the line. It, it's remarkable for someone. He is so remembered in the game. I don't know. He's remembered for his goal kicking, but he just contributes so little <laughs> in any other part of the game. Uh, and he's remembered as a great. Yeah. Yeah, you don't see a lot of that anymore, do you? Like these days, when you look at the wingers, the game sort of statistically has moved on quite a lot. Everything's so statistically based now, and we analyse everything everyone does. And you've got guys like Bevan French who've come into the game where they're essentially run out of the game for making sort of two, two runs, two tackles. You remember that game a few years ago? Yeah, yeah. Two runs, two tackles. Missed a few weeks, came back and made a game of three runs, and it's sort of second page of the sports section of the paper. Winger makes two or three runs. This bloke team loses. Didn't, pit, didn't yeah. do anything. Yeah, well, maybe that, you need that's to, right. Maybe you need to start kicking goals. Bevan French, if you're listening, uh, maybe that's the future. If you become a goal kicker, that suddenly it's free for all. You do what you want. I have um, Bevan French as an aside, but yes, um, I'd, I'd be interested. He was out a bit going, but it is. It's sort of a, you had this stage of the game where wingers, uh, the wingers did get away with that sort of thing. And I just don't think you would. And it may well have just been that they weren't looking that deep into the statistics. There wasn't a lot of, oh, yeah. did your winger have a good game? Yeah, he made 100 metres. Wasn't a chat you had back yeah. then? Yeah, <laughs> no, that's true. It, it's, um, yeah, it's just funny to watch him because he's a, he is a legend. But if you just watch the game, you'd think this guy, he didn't, he didn't really do anything. Um, I suppose we should talk about the tries a little bit. Actually, let's not talk about it. We had this conversation a, a couple of weeks ago during Parramatta versus Canterbury from 98 about the unlimited interchange. Mm. Um, yeah, I just think I it bears mentioning. Yeah, mm. I think it just bears mentioning again. Can I just take you to a couple of the changes that were made? Um, Mark Carroll went off after seven minutes. Yes. When did he come back on? Uh, after 15 minutes, I believe. I'm, I'm happy to be yeah. corrected on that. That um, stinks. That stinks. Shouldn't be yeah. allowed. It's a, it's a joke. It makes a... I was angry watching it. It's just a joke. It's, a, <laughs> it's, it's not how the game was designed to be played. It's just stupid. No. It's flat out stupid. Darren Britt goes off after 11. Parsons after 12. Carroll comes back on for his second stint in the 14th minute. Mm. It's a he very he, good, he yeah. goes off again relatively quickly as well. Mm. There's a very good it's, moment when, when he goes off the first time after seven minutes. Ian Rubin comes on. Um, and I'm obviously fond of Ian Rubin for a number of reasons. His Russian Rubin, connection. Yeah, yeah mostly. Um, but Rab says, ah, there's another big, wonderful man out there. Ian Rubin. Oh, yeah. It's a good yeah. shout that. It is good. <laughs> <laughs> he, he gets me. It, it's funny you mention that because I've got another Rab's Rubin moment later on. Yeah, yeah. Um, just the commentary of it. Uh, Rubin makes a line break. Yeah, from dummy half. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is what you want. That was in the game plan, I think. But um, and he just gives this big Ruben, and it's just too good. It's too good. <laughs> it's rugby league at its best. Ian Ruben became quite. Is I remember him very fondly for him playing for Russia and claiming Russian mm. heritage, but also. Mm. But the the thing exploding on the footy show when he was walking out onto the stage and the the the, the, the set exploded. Yeah, wasn't it? Wasn't he alive or gone? Wasn't that him as well? It might have been. I, I'm not sure on that one. I remember the stage exploding, and yeah. I also obviously remember the big league cover the day that they ran Ras Rubin uh, leading the Russian Revolution uh, with a big picture of Ian Rubin wearing one of those big what are the fur hats they wear in Russia? You know the big fur hat thing with yeah. the big ear flaps? Yeah, that was one of the best. It's in the top three covers that they've ever had. On the big with, a picture of, with a picture of the Kremlin in the background. Yeah, yeah let's put that up this week on the website. We, we will. We'll, we'll put, put it on. Thomas it. Yeah. Put it up on It'll Facebook. break the internet. That'll send people off their heads. Yeah, it's quite good that. It's really stood up, stood the test of time through the suggestion of a Russian revolution in rugby league. It's on. Yeah, I don't know where they're. Good. I don't know where they're ranked at the moment, but um, yeah. Well, isn't that why they invaded the Ukraine? That was something to do with rugby league, wasn't it? I think that's right. <laughs> Less guy there. They're going to call them the Crimea Gorillas. Um. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. There's anyone listening to us in Gamia? Um, good to have you with us. Or Egadine. Anyway, um, I think we should probably look at the tries. Um, Brett, the first South try, Brett, Brett Rodwell scores it, but uh, Tricky Trindle uh, just breezes past Ricky Stewart. And can I say, if you're talking Battle of the Halfbacks, first points to Tricky, um, yes. just goes past Stewart like he's not there. Throws a fairly ordinary forward pass to Lee Hookie, Speed Demon, uh, who, who manages to nearly get chased down by Steve Price before basketballing it overhead to Brett Rodwell. Uh, great pass. Great pass. Great pass. How so? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rabs. I just want to focus on Rabs in this try. Mm. Um, when it's scored, he really goes up about the forward pass quite early. Mm. But then as Souths are going into score, says, I don't want to ruin the moment, but I think the pass was forward. Yeah, he, um, that was very funny. There's one thing about that. I've got another thing we need to go back to on this. But on the Rabs point, it's in my notes. He is a bizarre stickler for forward passes in this match that I don't remember him being. He, yeah. he repetitively really goes up. about Some of them that are quite... I mean, this was a forward pass. So, but he goes up about a lot of borderline passes throughout the game where he really gets on him and goes, oh, that's a forward pass. Oh, I didn't have... Or even some of them, he goes, I didn't have a good angle of that, but I'd like one. So he's even suspecting potential yeah. forward passes on bad angles. And do you remember him being like that he was really, no, really. i don't know if we just maybe no, we've listened know. to him for so long you've forgotten because he doesn't do it now but they do make an effort not to be that you know ruin also, the live moments now but they, they he goes up a lot doesn't he all game about these forward passes he also absolves sean hampstead of any responsibility before turning mm. on him later in the game but early on yes he just really pins it on the touchy and later on just after half time mm. he says oh sean hampstead's had a very good game uh, there was a moment in the first half of the forward pass, but that's really up to the touch judge. That's what he's out there for. Like he really gets stuck into it. It's quite. Right. Yeah, he's got a real anti-touchy agenda, which I share. Well, I've got I something say. on that. I got a yeah, review that touch is hopeless and always have been. Yeah. Yeah. Now I've I've got I have to chat to you about this. So we 
We had a chat in some older games about them having the Colonel, like Colonel Sanders doing the touchline in a couple of these old games. Yes. And look, they don't in this game, but it goes back to these like unfit touches. They have like a really, really heavy, overweight touch judge in this game. Yeah. With a big bald spot. Um, which is nothing against our bald listeners, but he's just like it just like he's got this massive like the, the big balding crown, quite overweight and getting on. And he speaks with this sort of you know, it's like he's got a silver spoon sort of nonsense. And he speaks very um, sort of like oh I've come in I think I've spotted the instigator sort of chat like from the sideline. And I wanted to bring him up in in relation to this try because sure. the forward pass right is a stinker. It's a long way yep. forward and. As good as hooky's ball is, there's probably some question mark on the hooky pass as well. And when you watch the break, the touch judge can't get in the camera shot, let alone be in line, is that they pin this break and the entirety of the play, the touchy is so fat and slow that no touchy on either side of the field is even in shot. In the wide shot, you can't yeah. get the minute. And I think we're finally, after our criticism of touch judges on this show, we've finally found a moment where this has actually impacted a game very heavily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, it's almost like if your job is to pick forward passes, you might want someone with vaguely enough speed to keep up with rugby league players. Who well, are that's athletes, absolutely right. Professional this, athletes. This yeah. touchy, the touchy they've got in this game appears to be well over 50. He's completely mm. grey. And, and as you say, quite quite rotund. Been in a paddock. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not well, a good hay, I'll tell you well, that much. To be fair, it's a pretty good life as a as a rugby league touch judge. You know, there's a fair mm. few perks and fringe benefits that um that can go to your head. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but no, it, it, you're right. He's just he's sort of not close enough to make the call that he's there to make. Mm. Um, well, you can't see him, and you can see him pretty clearly if he's anywhere near because it's hard to miss him, and he can't get the shot. <laughs> it's, it's so yeah. good. Sterlo tosses out a very good commentary trope um in in opposition to rabs he says yeah i think the pass was forward the referee was in a great position i always like talk about the ref being in a good position to see the you know yeah yeah so yeah happy with the positioning that's positive but still not making the call still got it wrong yeah win some lose some just on uh just while we're talking about uh rabs he he did one of my favorite things uh he welcomed you know he used to do this all the time very ambitiously welcome the international viewers yeah, yeah. Wherever, wherever you're watching, yeah. wherever you are, and then specifically later on, welcomes people watching in Dunedin. <laughs> on what basis? I no. miss that. He doesn't offer any explanation. He just says, "I'd like to welcome our viewers coming tuning in from Dunedin in New Zealand." Like, Why? <laughs> what about them? <laughs> Does he mention yeah. Crimea at all? No, no. Unfortunately, I don't know if anyone was. I'd say there would have been a fair few people tuning in in the Ukraine, um, yeah. particularly to this game. You know what, another good, uh, while we're on commentary, another yeah, yeah. real cracker for Sturlow drops an absolute bomb. So, um, Dunaman playing 5'8". Oh, uh, yes. Has a game that we might describe as a, a Dunaman game um, and leave it at that. But it, he, Sturlow just goes, well, it, this, keep in mind, the year's 1999 and Dunaman's been first grade debut about 1993 and has sort of been a journeyman to yep. use a trope in the league since then. And Sturlow has dropped out, you know, it sort of criticises what he's done and then comps out with, you know, I've got a big rap on him. I saw him play in the Commonwealth Cup in 1992. And I, <laughs> so, so just, he mentions that, I'm so glad you brought this up because I had this in capitals. He, he says he actually won the Player of the Year in 1992. Yeah. Like, I, seven years ago. Yeah. That's great. In 1993 and perhaps 1994, that might have been something to mention. Yeah, Dunaman was quite a good player at this, you know, 
level that doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. That, that I watched him play in high school. But you know, now that he's had sort of seven years to get on with it and hasn't, uh, it's vaguely time, I think, to maybe judge the first grade career. Yeah, I, that, it was very funny. That really did get to me that it's a bit like your grandfather's um, or your theory that Arthur Summons is the best mm. halfback he's ever seen based on his form for Wagga against Gundagai. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, it is. It's good, yeah. It's, it holds up, basically. Yeah. Um, it, it's, yeah, it's just kind of the right form line to be assessing. Yeah, uh, yeah so, so Souths go out 6-0. Um, they get a penalty shortly after that from about 30 out in front. Uh, Sterlow helpfully points out that eight would be a very good lead. Um, mm, and they decide, not to ta- they decide not to take it. And Fatty really trolls Bears fans here. Because it's about 35 out straight in front at the Sydney Football Stadium. And Fatty says, oh, if they had Daryl Halligan, they'd be taking it. He'd be a shoe in to kick this. <laughs> yeah. It's good, that. I mean, just Bears fans just throwing things at the camera at that point. Just go, ah, you know. Yeah. 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 If they're still around after 1998 preliminary, I think they might have, yeah. they might have gone. But they have a real dig, don't they, the Bunnies, early on. They can play eight out of nine. They bomb a try shortly after this. There is a bit of a sense that, they, they, that they're going all right. Um, yeah, against they, a much um, better side. Yeah, yeah, they do. They have a real dig. I, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned that because the, uh, their handling stats are wonderful because let's keep in mind uh, the, the score ends up 16-14 we finish. Yeah. Yeah, so we finished 16-14 and it's 6-0. They've made one handling error. I'd just like to note that they managed to win this game going on to make 13 in the next, like, basically 40 minutes. Or the That's 65th right. minute or so. Yeah. They've ended up with 13. So... They How finish. With, they stay in the game. Yeah, it's it's quite good. They finish with seventeen. Yeah. yeah wow. They, yeah, <laughs> it's very good, isn't it? Like, but they, you're right. They did start. They started really well. They they put their gloves up. It was clearly an emotional game for them. They they yeah. They ripped in, and their strength was their forward pack. If you look at who they had, that was where they had their better players, and that that helps. If you're going to play on passion, you sort of you know can't get away with that. If you're relying on your, on your wingers or, or or your halfback, but they they put their gloves up in the forwards and ran hard and. And well, played, it's, played pretty well through there. It's funny you mentioned the forwards. Um, a friend of the show mentioned to me through the week that when I said we were doing this game, mentioned that uh, Matt Parsons won Prop of the Year in 1999. This was, this was the first game of the season he went on to Prop of the Year at the Daly M's, which seems like a bit of an outline. It's like, you know, we watched a fair bit of Matt Parsons when he went to the Knights, but it, he, mm. you know, he was on the way to having an unusually good season. Yeah, I... Um... I think he might have wanted to hold onto the ball a bit better than he did in this game. Gavin yeah. gone on to win it. Uh, he, I reckon he dropped it four times in, in the play the ball, which, to be fair, he's being mentored by Mark Carroll, who has the worst play the ball in the history of the sport. <laughs> we've spoken about. I, I did really lament when we got a Mark Carroll game and didn't get him playing the ball forward. I pretty much just wanted to give it up. What's at the that point? point? What's it's, the point of watching it? Yeah, I tell you, but, but you're right. Parso has a has a really good a good um, sort of year, and you could probably see that why he ran the ball very hard. But yeah, he also nicked in the. Dumb- <laughs> He made a lot of mistakes. He also ducked into dummy half very early, which got me on my feet. There's something about saying someone who's six foot eleven getting into dummy half, passing off the ground. It's quite a good look. It's the Damien Cook model, isn't it? Just That's, speed out of nine. Did yeah. Do, do much beach sprinting, Matt Parsons? <laughs> I'd imagine he'd so. Still, he'd still be going, especially on a beach sprint. Especially, especially coming, yeah. especially coming from Werris Creek. There's a fair few sand dunes yeah. out there. Yeah. Um, Starting from the stomach too, like having to get up and then sprint. That's really playing into his heart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the 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 dogs then kind of have having withstood South's big effort in the first twenty minutes, they do seem to impose themselves on the game. That they score a lovely try in the nineteenth minute through Brad Clyde, 
beautiful cutout pass from Ricky Stewart. That, I mean, that 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 little moment is how this was supposed to go for the dogs, right? Signing Brad Clyde and Ricky Stewart. That it's a it's the two of them combining. Stewart sums it up, throws the arcing ball over they go. That you you see that you think, oh, we're on here. Like this is this is the plan. Yeah, class football. It was so so class. Um, Ricky, Ricky, I really enjoyed watching Ricky as I mentioned before. But he, uh, you know, it might have slowed up a bit. But he was a player that could could work with that because he was never a big runner of the football. And yeah. that's just class. He counts the numbers. That counting the numbers. I, I mean, it was really funny because Fatty called that play on uh, in the play the ball really early, and it was maybe a five, six, seven, eight second play the ball, a really long, slow play the ball with Fatty going, geez, they're on on that side. Yeah, yeah. Geez, they're on over there. And despite the fact that it never, that we had all this time, they still didn't get out there. They still ended up with, in a situation yeah. where the second man in scored untouched in the corner. They could, he could have passed it to another guy and none of them marked up. It was weird. There was, there was a lot of time in the play the ball for them to adjust to that and they never did. But nonetheless, Ricky still threw a crack of a ball and, I wouldn't mind talking about Brad Clyde on that point because yeah, we talk about Ricky slowing up a bit. I wanted to have a look at Clyde 10 years after the, the 89 grand final. And mm. i tell you what, a little bit less dynamic, like a little bit less fast, but geez, he was just still everywhere. Like he yeah. kept lobbing up on both sides of the field. He, he seemed like there was, you could think there was three of him out there. Like he just kept, I think what I've picked up about him is yes, the work rate was high, but there's a lot of footballers like that, that what he had, to me was he seemed to be smart. He seemed to lob up in the right spot. Like he didn't just, Paul Gallen, for example, used to just take a lot of runs. That was his thing. Yeah. He was a very good player, but he took a lot of runs. Brad Clyde kept lobbing up where stuff was on. Like he'd come in on one edge that he wasn't playing on and take a really good incisive run there. Then he'd lob up in the middle when there was a bit of mo. Then he'd lob on his own edge. Then he'd be there for an overlap. He seemed to have a work rate combined with a really clever way of knowing whereabouts he should go on the field to be impactful. Um, yeah, that's right. And slowed up a little bit in his power, geez, there was a lot of class there. Did, did you notice as much as that? Am I seeing it through the glasses of knowing how good he was? Or no, was that my, my thought was that, my thought was that he wasn't, um, that this is 10 years after 89 mm-hmm. and he's not, um, he's not wildly dynamic. He's not really belting people and making those really rambunctious carries like he does, for example, in the 89 grand final, mm-hmm. but he's a, he's a very good pro. And he, as you say, gets into the right positions. He's there for that try. He's still running good lines and all that stuff. Yeah. He, he still looks like a good player and that's borne out. I don't know if you, you read this. He got picked for state of origin this year. In yeah, 1999. I would have picked him on that yeah, form. He, he, That's what he was doing week in. Yeah, I think no question. And he hadn't, he hadn't played for New South Wales since 94. He'd been out of the side, of course, in 95 because of Super League and through that period, but then he hadn't been picked in 98. But he got picked in 99 and was unable to play because he fell off a horse. Yeah. In, in the, the great, the great Wayne Pierce, Robbie Kearns incident. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's one of the one of the best. He uh, talks about Robbie Kearns a lot, but yeah, Brad Clyde, which is very funny because he missed nearly half his career. He had a really Adam McDougal career of just being hurt a lot. Yeah, like where he missed so many games, he could almost double his career in games for what he missed. And to well, he missed get yeah. through all that. Yeah, make it back to rep football, and then <laughs> fall like have a horse accident. It's just like in state that, of origin bonding. Yeah, yeah. it's a bit yeah, rough. There's sort of it? a few players that could happen to, and you might say like the injury guys you see in your life is. McDougal, there's here maybe sort of Joey seem to always have that sort of luck. Like yeah. there's guys that just seem to get hurt somehow, and, and and Clyde obviously one of them, and that's one of the better ones, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's fairly stiff. Um, but yeah, there's plenty of there's plenty of signs there for him. 
Um, he throws a pass too for a near try later. We might end up talking about it, but he gets yeah. in a really clever overlap for for Silva, where again, it's just it's a combination of the work rate that guys do have, like your Gallons and other elite players do have, but he seemed to just be clever. Like he used his power, like his engine to get into the right spots on the field to be impactful, not just to make a lot of runs, if that if I'm conveying that well. Yeah, yeah, no, I know what you mean. Mm. Um, also, just I, it would be remiss of me not to mention that Sterlo doesn't, if you freeze it there, um, yeah. with, the, with the dogs having sort of about a 12-man overlap, he still feels the need to freeze it, draw on the screen and say, look, if you just watch here, Canterbury have got sort of 28 blokes in space over there and one of them gets it and he runs over and scores. Yeah, yeah 28 Bulldogs and one Lee Hooky. You know, yeah, somehow. Yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> I love Lee Hooky, just on the side note. It's great to well, see Lee Hooky play. It was. There was a lot of talk that he was very well rated at that time. This, of course, they had Lumens on the other wing who was kind of touted as a one of the fastest in the game. It's um, yeah, it's a. Was he in was, the sprint off Lumens? I think Lumens was in the yeah. sprint off. Now, what I'm going to do, I think we should post the sprint off through the week, um, yeah. on the Facebook page because I think next weekend we're going to do uh, 1997 preliminary final mm. Newcastle versus North. Yep. So we'll possibly get Lumens from this game and Darren Albert from the next game. <clears throat> who I believe, and possibly Gavin Lester, I think, is in it as well yeah, in the I'm footy show sprint off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. What did, did they have, speaking of the sprint off, did what's his name from Parramatta run in it? The winger that like, uh, what's his name that Sterlo wouldn't shut up about in the '98 grand final? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Another one you're talking so about. Got his name, but uh, anyway, oh, right. we'll, we'll get to him. Yeah. I'm it's, blanking on it, but I hope he's in it because I want vindication for the rubbish about him being the fastest man in the game. But um, sorry to drag you off topic. No, there. not at all. No, but we'll, we'll be po- just listeners. If you if you've got this far, we will be posting the footy show fastest man in rugby league sprint off on the on the Facebook page through the week, um, and then the dog score again in the thirtieth minute. Again, lovely play by Stewart. That pass against the grain to put Steve Price through. He strolls upfield and finds Rocket Rod Silver to score. Um, that's a rugby league try. That's, isn't beautiful it? that's footing, just a rugby isn't league it? try. Uh, turning the ball, get back against the, you know, going back to the, you know, against the ruck. Back to where the play the ball was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's really, you don't see a lot of halfbacks. It's really top line halfbacks know when to do that. Yeah. That was just class. Price was very fast when he was young, wasn't he? He showed a lot he, of. He had a really um, good game. He's all bones and runs good lines on the edge. He's totally different to what he ended up being. But, um, yeah, he was a cart horse later on. Um, yeah. Good, good. But he was a workhorse. But, he showed a lot of, lot of a speed and, and power. It gets through, um, and Silva is a great player. We, we've spoken about him before. Um, I'll tell you one thing that was good. I'd forgotten about this with Steve Price, so I'd just to, to cut in because we're on him. Yeah. Um, it'd been a lot, I'd forgotten that manic phase of him being the king of the charge down. Yes. possibly started in this game because he pulls one off. Yes. And 10 years later or five, six years later, the biggest bloody trope, it's the biggest since the girdler is the intercept king thing became yeah. bloody Steve Price's charge downs. Diving just at the do legs. One, yeah, but once a month he'd do it and be like, oh, he's done it again. He's done it again, the king of the charge down. Oh, here we go. And, you know, it was just, it was really stupid. He was quite yeah. good at it, but it just wasn't that big of a deal. It was really hyped into this massive sort of thing. you got to watch the I, charge down. Can I say, just off the, I love charge downs. It's one of my favourite things. They're so exciting and, and like, usually pointless. Low percentage, yeah. Usually like just give them another set. Yeah. It's very rare that there's a charge down that ends up with you getting the ball at good field position. That's why I love them. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Usually it just uh, gives them the ball for another six tackles. Yeah, sort of 10 yards from back weather. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I say good. I More power to him. There's another. Ricky Stewart has a beautiful first half. There's another moment just after this, just before halftime, 
where he dinks this chip kick over for uh, one of the Hughes. Oh, yeah. I, think it, I think it might be Steve Hughes out in the centres. He throws a flick pass to Gavin Lester. Um, and they end up... Old firm there, yeah. Yeah, well, that's right. They end up getting dragged down. And then Rocket Rod Silver slices through and Hughes drops it when he was going to score. But, I mean, the Souths are on tilt at this point. Like, it's 12-6. They could have scored a couple more. They, they started out well. They've started dropping the ball, though. You, you know, there's no, there's no mm. signs that Souths are going to win the game, is there? No, look, I think that stage of the game was probably um, how South ended up winning is the fact that the Bulldogs scored a couple so easily and nearly scored again so easily. They probably just strolled into halftime with this feeling that it was just going to happen. Um, and rightfully, it's just that if, if it had have happened just then, if they got another one, that probably would have gone on to be a bit of a flogging. But it happened so easily there and Ricky took control so easily. I think that's, you know, it just became this, they probably went in, feeling a bit up and a bit, yeah, yeah we're yeah. on here, it's going to happen, and that's where you end up, you know, getting a bit in trouble. Once it doesn't happen for you and they start fighting back, it, it can start putting a bit of pressure on you. But Ricky was looking really good. That was a great kick. Um, the Steve Hughes call is interesting because we've done a few games around this era, but it's, it's funny, isn't it? The, the nepotism that was in the game, especially the Bulldogs in that era, is what's gone now. Yeah. Um, you won't get groups of brothers like this, yeah. No, you don't. And like Willie Talao's on the bench. And I'm sorry, there's just no planet that Hughes was better centre than Willie Talao, no. better back. And it's just, it doesn't, they, you know, you had, I think it's just a bullfrog more probably left than just before this around the Super League war he left. Um, and you had, you know, Chris Anderson had coached them through that time and, and folks had a, I forget how folks links in, but he's linked in with them as well. Yeah, he's um, a, Family yeah. ties. Yeah, but, you know, Anderson had married uh, Bullfrog's daughter. Like, folks is somehow married into the family or, or around there somehow. Yeah. Um, then you've got the Hughes brothers that were always picked, like Kevin Moore ends up coaching them a little down the line and being the reserve grade halfback. There's all yeah. these links there. And you won't see that now. You, you know, um, for all the faults at Newcastle, they didn't boot Brock Glam or Cogger when they thought they were okay to get in, you know, Cooper Johns or, or, yeah. or the older one, Jack Johns, because their dads had played here. And that was a lot more common in the game then. I know there was a time that those kids actually, Cronulla in the early 90s really trumpet signing about three or four of the old Dragons, um, you know, 11 in a row team. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, getting the Suns. And, and it was a thing. And it's not a real criticism of the Bulldogs. It was the times yeah. you're in and you got away with that but a this, little bit more. This family club yeah. stuff, you know, that, it, it's funny you say about yeah, Willie. you just wouldn't see it now. Like, Willie Talao had played in the centres in their run to the grand final the year before mm. and finds himself on the bench behind Steve Hughes and Darren Smith. And then after 20 minutes, I don't know if you noticed this, Darren Smith goes onto an, goes into the back row and Willie Talao comes on and plays the rest of the game at centre. Yeah, I did notice it's just, that. It's yeah, just quite yeah. needlessly kind of convoluted for a guy who was mm. a fantastic player and should have been in first grade, should have been in the team from the start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. That's exactly right. Um, yeah, so they go into halftime 12-6. Um, and I think you're right. You know, it, it's it's like the dogs really, they don't do much in the second half, like at all. They just kind of coast around. They don't really fire any shots. They just potter about thinking they're going to win the game. Like it, it really, the South's comeback really sneaks up on them because they just don't, they don't create many chances. They don't do much of anything. They just, Stewart just kind of manages them around the field. South keep turning the ball over, making mistakes, and Canterbury just coast along expecting to win. 
Yeah, I think that's right. It's one of those things psychologically. I think you do see it a lot sometimes in teams that bring in some really good players. Uh, I wonder if it was a bit of that thing where the year before they had this team that ran through the finals and all of a sudden they added Ricky Stewart and Brad Clyde who, you know, uh, greats, all-time greats of the game. And I wonder if there's just this feeling that they came out and Clyde scores off Stewart, Stewart sets up another one, whether they maybe just thought, oh, here we go, like these guys are going to, you know, roll it, roll it in for us and we don't need to, to do as much. Because you do see that from time to time when, when you get a really good player brought in the guys that did well before they got there do regress a little. They, they sort of, there's yeah. this feeling that now they don't need to do as much as they did before or these guys are going to take care of it. Um, it's not you, know, you probably saw it a bit at, at Newcastle when they went from the worst team ever to just getting Pierce and Ponger and a few guys. There's some guys that did really well in the bad team didn't translate very well into the slightly better team. They just yeah. stopped doing the things that you felt you had to do when you didn't have those class guys with you. It's funny. It's not, it's not linear. Is it? People think if you just add this good player, it'll become, you just, it'll add up and it doesn't always. Yeah. That's no, true. No. Yeah, you do see a bit of that. Um, just a, a stat for you from halftime. Souths uh, had completed eight out of nine early in the game. Mm. Uh, they went into halftime with a completion of 12 out of 20. Yeah, that's good. That it's so good, three from it? three from 12 in the, or yeah, four from four, sets, four, isn't it? Four from 11. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of yeah. sets. Like that it is a lot. Yeah. yeah, so they, there is a bit of a sense that they've lost their way a bit. Just a couple of stray observations. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the evolution of rugby league fashion, we talked a bit yeah. about uh, the 90s being very much, the early 90s in particular, late 80s, being the domain of the V-neck, the V-neck jumper with the butt, mm-hmm. over the button-up shirt with the, with the trousers. Yeah. Uh, I notice Craig Coleman running the polo shirt, polo shirt and slacks. Which is a very good yeah. look, and there's a bit of that in the on both sides. There's a fair few polo shirts mm. running around. I think if you want to look at any time and get a guide of what fashion was doing generally, Craig Coleman's where you'd start. I think <laughs> that's probably a fair call. I think that's a right. guide of what people were doing. Yeah, he was sort of on. The, he had his finger on the pulse that way. Yeah, the zeitgeist. Of... Yeah, I think that's right. Mm. Um, and also, just something, just something else I noticed. Uh, one of the advertising hoardings grabbed my attention. Your cult. Yeah, good. Did you notice this? I yeah, I didn't actually. No, you're called. I just, I just wonder if the Sharota strain was big at the time amongst rugby league players. Were there a lot of them kind of worried about their gut bacteria? I don't know. Yeah, um, I would have thought Mark Carroll was interested in that. But I'd like to know whether it boosted sales. I mean, we we mentioned that there were no sponsors on the jerseys or anything with sales. It's good that your cult chose to hitch their wagon to the bunnies, uh, at least around the ground. Would you have loved to send your cult on the front of the jumpers over the gut too? So it would have been kind of natural synergy between, yeah. Yeah, you could have uh, like a spilt your cult across the front of the gut, like you yeah. splash it on the spilt it having a, having a feed. Yeah, well, that's right. I, I, I just think it was it was a bit beyond before the kind of I don't know if rugby leagues ever embraced microbiotics, but I would like to think so. Um, yeah, well, the times the times now. Yeah, Doctor Chirota. They could have got Doctor Chirota out to a game. That would have got people in. Yeah, to give a talk it? about give a talk about gut health. You yeah, could have done that. They, they yeah, well, they've associated a lot of famous people with the bunnies and subsequent years. Had Snoop Dogg come out and that sort yeah. of thing. I would have liked to think it'd be a similar sort of deal, wouldn't it? Well, exactly. When did yeah, Snoop Dogg ever? Tricky Trindle shaking his hand. Exactly. When did Snoop Dogg ever invent weird milk? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Um, now, second half, uh, early penalty goal to the doggies. 
Uh, uh, sorry, just quickly. Oh, yeah, hit me. Just one thing. Sorry, I just, just completely missed it, and I really apologise. Just coming up to halftime, there is something we have to talk to. So 38th minute, um, yes. I really apologise for jumping back. No. There is this really, really weird consensus in the commentary box that the Bulldogs have to set up for a field goal. Um, and they spend the, yeah, and they spend the whole set saying they'll take this, they'll take this, and then they really criticise the dogs for going on a spread where they nearly score because they, they get this chance and they spread it wide and they go, ah, oh, you know, they just they didn't quite set up properly. I wonder if they didn't do this and they've got away with that South. Even South were waiting for the field goal and hanging back, blah, blah, yeah. blah, and then it turns. And I just want to make the comment as to why at a game they were dominating so much. And there's not 10 seconds to halftime. There's two minutes. They had two minutes. And they're 25 out in front of the post in the 38th minute of the game. Why would you take a field goal or why would it be so Mm -hmm. sure that they just take it for given they've got to set up here ricky will set this up they've got to go why they were very confident it was you're absolutely right they were very confident that the field goal was the way it was going i have no idea i missed something as well tricky trindle in about half an hour into the game ricky stewart's setting up to feed the scrum Mm. and tricky trindle just takes the ball off him and throws it away for no reason <laughs> yeah, it's tricky stuff. That though. it That's is. Yeah, well, this gamesmanship. Yeah, and Ricky Stewart gets quite irate about this, and they end up punching on. And Hampstead says, "No, no, no, tricky, tricky. If you're going to start this rubbish, it's a penalty. It was going to be a scrum. Now it's a penalty. You know, real tough love from the from Mister Bean. Yeah. yeah, I just think it warrants mentioning that um, it's very good old school, kind of mm. less lesser known halfback up against big big name halfback, just irritating him in in a really yeah. kind of um, It'd be hard to get under Ricky Stewart petul- too. He's a fairly petulant way. Yeah. yeah, well, exactly. You've got to think Easy about going, Ricky, yeah. It's funny about him, you know, three years after this, he was coaching the Roosters and winning the comp. Yeah, it it's, is. It's, yeah, it is. yeah. Um, he seems uh, too good at this point to not be playing anymore, doesn't he? Like it, yeah. that, To be coaching and be an established mm. first-grade coach that soon after this game, yeah. yeah. Um, I know he played another year after this, but, yeah, it, it, it struck me as very odd. Um, the The... The Bulldogs score their final points of the game in about the 45th minute um, mm. from a kind of love tap shot around the neck uh, on, on Hughes. Fatty and, and Rabs are really scathing about this. It's a real, like, I love that old-timey kind of outrage about, oh, that's not a penalty, that's a load of rubbish, you know. And Rabs uses this opportunity to then start talking about the strip rule which has absolutely yeah. nothing to do with what the, pen- the penalty is for a high tackle. And Rabs just yeah. says, yeah, so we'll, and while we're on it, I think the strip rule, I think players are deliberately offering the ball so that it gets stripped and they'll get a penalty. <laughs> that's a good take, that. <laughs> it, <laughs> I, I'm not sure that's entirely accurate. The, um, it also just the has, strip rule. It just has yeah, no I, correlation to what actually happened. There haven't been any strip penalties no. in the game. This is for a high shot. What's he talking yeah. about? It's good, isn't it? I've always loved the strip rule because they change the interpretation every few years. And, and what's a strip now? I wasn't a strip three years ago and it was yeah. different 10 years ago. And, you know, there's always these, like allegations of this, that and the other. And it's just like, it just needlessly complicates the game so much. And, yeah. But yeah, you're right about the high tackles. There was a really good phase of commentary for a long time where anything that belted someone on the head was just like disgracefully shouldn't have been penalised and was yeah, soft. Just, just a love tap. I miss yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then finally, inexplicably, with no real signs that this is going to happen, Souths get themselves over the line. The, Sean Garlic scores a great try, um, thanks to Tony Iroh. Jeez, it was good to see Tony Iroh. He's in, yeah. in good shape, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Like yeah. for an edge back rower. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
it's, um, he, uh, it's a nice piece. But he had a good game, Sean Garley. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Gets it, Ira gets out of dummy half, uh, gets it to nickel, and then Jimmy Smith breaks into the clear and gives it, uh, finds his way through and then throws it to Garlic, who scores. Um, Sterlow takes the opportunity to say they needed to be the next to score, and they have. Um, but that's quite a nice bit of play. It was. It was. Um, not with anyone you'd really expect it from. Um, no. You might have expected Garlic to back up. He was that sort of player. Um, it's good to see Garlo get a pie. Um, you know, sort of a precursor of things to come. But um, aside from that, there really wasn't much going on uh, in terms of... It's a sort of a marker of the game, wasn't it? There's, we're seeing it a bit in that Queensland Origin game. Like, there's a lot of efforts from guys in this game that they weren't bad players, but they're not the people you expect to really bust up some of these Canterbury guys. And no. um, they did. There's a lot of effort. It was an emotional game. It was a lovely try. Really, really good bit of football. Yeah, it's a... <laughs> That's that's it. Like they just they just pull something out from not not from an expected source. There's no kind of there's no sign that it's coming, and there's no plan that seems to be leading to that. Um, no. Yeah, it's funny, and and then sort of then for a long time nothing really happens. That uh, that there is a remarkable hold up on Rod Silver. I don't know how he doesn't score, um, but mainly all I've got on that is video ref board written in capital letters. Mm. Um, it's good to see the board. It's a shame it didn't light up. Well, that's right, but it was a very long wait. The, yeah. the, there doesn't seem to have been any communication about when it was coming up. There's just no. this. They used to do that. You they used to get these real waits. Yeah, you get this real, like it could come up an hour and five minutes. There was no sign that you're about to get the call. No. One or the other. Yeah. Yeah, and then can we just can we just take a moment? I know we talked about him a little bit in uh, the the para prelim, but. Rocket Rod Silver. Have you got any any words on him? God, he's a beautiful mover. Just, just a just, good player, yeah. Oh. He made a lovely line break in this game and a couple of kick returns as well where he slices through it. It's beautiful football. And we have lost some of those players um, from the game these days because of the emphasis on having the, the fullback ball play. You don't get as many as those, like, those broken field. I mean, guys like Tedesco are very good at that, but guys like that were just real broken field runners was their thing in the back yeah. up and stuff. And you get a lot more guys that are worried about passing and stand wider that guys like him that, you know, they weren't the, the rep fullback, but they were just, they could hurt you anyway. The club players that could still hurt you and just move in space. And, 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 Oh, he's just, he did. You're right. He just moves beautifully. He's lovely to watch. He, he, I don't know how he doesn't score there, but I don't really have it on him. He did what he had to do and just gets, gets pulled up short. But the, some of the other, other plays in that game for him were phenomenal. He was just breaking him up. South didn't have anyone really that was doing what he was doing. No. Um, while we're talking fullbacks, what did you think of, uh, obviously it becomes fairly important late in the game, but uh, Craig Wing at fullback, this is his second year in first grade. He looked pretty good, I thought. Super impressed. Really, really impressed with him. Um, obviously, like watching it, I was like, oh, yeah, he probably be pretty fast and, and that'll, that'll work. But I thought he was really good. He was uh, really strong. He was tackle busting a lot. Um, he always got like, <laughs> it's a bit tangential, but like on like the NRL PlayStation games later, he always got 10 in tackle bus stats. And I always felt like, yeah, he had full rating for tackle bus. And I always thought it was a bit odd because he always played dummy half and he just, you know, like he scooted a lot for a hooker, but hookers just don't break that many tackles. And I wondered where that came from. I wonder if the NRL game writers watched a lot of this like fullback early play. Early days. They did, might have been. He did break. Yeah, he broke a lot of tackles. Like, he broke tackles all the time in this game for a little man. Like, you just don't expect... Yeah. Like, you expect James Tedesco and Anthony Minicello to break tackles. But, like, Wingy would just... I don't know if it was his change of feet or just or just power, but he just got into them and he bounced out of one nearly all the time, didn't he? There was very few first tackle attempts on him. 
And I wonder if he might not have been a pretty good one in, in time. It's yeah. I, mean, I thought it, he was great. I, just yeah, really I agile, sli- like um, nippy, evasive. Uh, yeah, he. If you'd have been watching this game at the time, you would have thought, "God, this this guy, he, he's he's on his way." He was only nineteen. Um, he was still, you know, he was still a year away from winning Cloud Bachelor of the Year. Um, yeah. You know, so it's it's fairly early in the development. Uh, yeah. yeah. Have you he, got had a, a, he had a good career. He had a really good career, Wingy. He um. Well, I, the I only man ever to you? only man ever to win an NRL Premiership and Cloud Bachelor of the Year. Which I think Ben's really? mentioning. Brent, Brent the, Kite didn't do that as well. No, <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, he obviously <laughs> would have been. I dare say he would have been nominated a fair few times. Brent Kite. I yeah, think. I think, so. I think uh, perennial runner-up. Yeah, I think Brent Kite might have run second to Jeff Hugel. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> which you know was a big year for the award. It's, it's. I mean, it's it's the classic problem of multiple real good contenders cropping up in the mm. same year, isn't it? Was yeah. it Fat Hugel or Skinny Hugel that won it? Like, was I don't it know. during his weight gain or not? I, th- I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think that's. I think that's what got him over the line over the kite. Uh, yeah, it, it, but that, that that's that's never as far as I don't know has never been done. Uh, you yeah. know, people talk about possible immortals. I think you've got to take into account off-field achievement. Yeah, I think that's fair. You got to look like at if, the whole picture. Well, if you can take into account Mal coaching Queensland. Towards his immortality, I think you've got to consider Craig Wing being judged the Australia's most eligible bachelor in the year two thousand. Yeah, well, that's right. Well, all you're basically saying is that if Kyle Sandilands had played first grade rugby league, he'd also possibly be an immortal because he's that's, also a bachelor. In also, I only realised this today, but I, you're absolutely yeah. right. Um, yeah, which just raises more questions than answers, quite frankly. Um, yeah. This game really ambles along for quite a while, and then in the last fifteen minutes when Souths appear to be labouring, they just keep turning the ball over. Um, they're making no ground. They're doing nothing. All of a sudden, they start making all these breaks. The game really goes silly for, 50, for the last 15 because for some reason, despite playing quite terribly and constantly dropping the ball, they're still in the game. Canterbury haven't finished them off. And the crowd starts... fired a shot. Mm. No, and the crowd starts mm. to really get, on the, get behind Souths. They can't... It, there's, there's a Jeremy Schloss makes a break, which I'm very keen to see. And uh, I think this was, I guess this must have been after the, the, the incident. Would that be right? With Julian O'Neill. Yeah. Do we think? <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I think it would I, have I'm not sure when Julian, yeah. I'm not sure when Julian O'Neill was at South, actually. We might have to check I that, think he but... was there at this stage. I think he just didn't play in this game. But Possibly suspended for the shoe incident. Possibly, well, that, I know it was, to, hang on, let's. Yes, it was. It was in nineteen ninety nine. It was in nineteen ninety nine. I wonder if it was before or after. Somebody on uh, somebody on the Rugby League Cemetery Facebook page brought up the shoe incident in relation to Jeremy Schloss, mm. which I was very keen on. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, there's a break from him. There's another break from well, Chris Carroll. Like he wasn't wearing that shoe. He had to worn that shoe. <laughs> that must be a game changing moment. Got to see it slow his pace down a bit. What a thought, sir. But uh, yeah. sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. But uh, yeah, um, Chris Caruana, were you about to mention? I was. Um, he made another break as well. Off, the one off the the Ian Rubin dummy half uh, sprint upfield. I've got a stat for you on Chris Caruana. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so just to give you an idea, we talked a lot about South in that era and their performances. Yeah. All right, so Chris Caruana was a centre and he played 49 games for South Sydney and scored six tries. <laughs> in them. Just for an idea of how they were going in that time yeah. frame. To have a centre, so he's you know scoring three tries in 
two and a half seasons for about two and a half. That's about two seasons those days. So two years scoring three tries a season playing centre. Strike rate. So that's how they were going. Yeah. Yeah. It's just yeah, sort of, it's a guide. Suggests he was getting a lot of good ball out there. Um, well, it does. And one of the really good things about him, right, is that when they get kicked out of the competition, um, he re-signs with South when they come back. But nobody years. signed him in the interim. Yeah. So he just went and got a job. I just think it's fascinating for how, like, the standard of them when they come back is they've got this bloke who played at centre. It's called six tries in 49 games. He wasn't a bad player, but he's got six tries in 49 games. Nobody else sort of pick him up in this era. No club in the competition signs him. Wasn't he, he working, at the, working at the fruit markets, paddy markets yeah, or something? something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was in the workforce. And just at the end of two years in the workforce, they go, you know what, we're back. Let's get him. He's ready to go. Like this, this will really, this will really show the NRL when we make a yeah. run up the table. It makes a statement. People haven't played. Yeah. Can I say the great sin of South Sydney when they came back was they signed? Uh, I don't know if you'd remember a fellow by the name of Zane Clark. Uh, yeah, they signed him um, as one of their first signings post readmission, uh, and the reason this was problematic for me was that he was the absolute gun standout hooker for the Cessnock Goannas. Ah. Yeah, and they picked him up, lured him down to South to play reserve grade. Very distressing. Uh, completely ravaged the go in his spine, not having Zane Clark to, to partner, yeah, Kane Bradley. Um, yeah, yeah anyway. story at that point? No, I don't think so. No, I think he would, that was, yeah, I think he was still sort of in his late 20s at that point. Uh, yeah. Rabs at this point, with about 10 to go, when South start having a real crack, he, he makes a comment which is pretty bang on, actually, and indicates the kind of the mood of the game. He says, I hope some of the stay-at-home South supporters are watching these kids today, you know. They're, they're having a real crack. They're, they're, you know, you need, you need to get down here. If you want your club to survive, you've got to get down here and watch these fellas because they're going to have a go for you. It's very funny because it's, it's quite a sort of having a dig. Uh, you don't see a lot of the commentators having a dig at the fans. They so not turning get a lot of... Yeah, especially you won't get a lot of commentators digging them like sucks to be you, especially when they're losing. Like they're not winning the game at this point. No. They're behind on the scoreboard. And the, the head commentators are digging them going, yeah, well, I hope you, I hope you happy you stayed home, you turnips, basically. Like, <laughs> right. go, your team's nearly winning. And, and also, like, I, I, yeah. it's also in Channel 9's interest for people to stay at home. I think that warrants mention as well. Like, it's not That's as if... Point. Yeah, like, it's not as if it's good for Channel 9 need people to go to football, as we're about to find out on Rugby League Island. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? It, it? it is. It's a good... He's right in every way. But at the same time, like, it's such a harsh comment because, you know, again, we've been through South's record. We won't go back over it. But no. it's a bit, little bit hard to be picking on people for not wanting to go watch them at yeah. that point. And, I mean, I, I'm mad. If I went for them, I'd have probably been there. I think it's fair to say. I sat through the nights winning about three games in a season. But uh, it's a little bit hard to pick on the rest of the public for having watched the last 10 years and thinking <laughs> this wasn't necessarily something they wanted to go and watch. And then being like, what about this one time this happened? They're, they're nearly winning with 10 to yeah, go. Yeah, why you here? Yeah, you could have, if you had to sat through the last 10 years, you'd have got this. You know what's <laughs> funny about that? Yeah. Is that the next game, so I just looked on, and I'm indebted to Rugby League Project Andrew Ferguson for this. The, the second game, mm. they were also at home. They played the Raiders and they got 19,500. What was the score? Uh, Bunnies 21, Raiders 14. There you go. So they start. So the, yeah. this is the thing about this game is they win in round one. They win four of their first five to start the season in 1999, the Bunnies. There is a real sense that they might make a, make a go of this and make a recovery. And in fact, they are in the eight. They, they keep winning. They're going really well. They're in the eight until round 20. 
But the only trouble with that is that they lose their last seven in a row and disappear yeah, and, fin- and, and finish 12th. But, like, yeah. but when we say they come, and, come down and watch your, your team, they're having a crack, they, you know, yeah, they, do. Yeah. they weren't setting up to be gallant in defeat. They, they did have a real go at making the finals. It's um God. Can you imagine the smug that would have been coming out of Piggins in um and oh, Red yeah. Fern when they were four from five? Like the the, oh, the, yeah. the headlines would have started coming up about like you know shades of eighty nine and all this stuff. There would have been so much chat. <laughs> it would have been it's emanating from them. Like, they would have been walking around with their chests out. It would have been wonderful. You know they beat they beat the Dragons in round four. Mm. Twenty twenty five twenty four. The Dragons going on to lose mm. the grand final in the last minute. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's great. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame it ended that way. It, it's surprising. The team, I'd be frank, like maybe I need to look over the other teams from the era, but I wasn't like impressed looking at it on paper. No. No, um, it didn't look like a side that, I, you know, and you think about some of the sides five, yeah. sides that were around in that era. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. yeah, it's funny. I just, you think about this as a great, there, there must have been a little time in around yeah. April of that year where they, they were going to give this a real rattle and, you know, it would have been a bit harder to chuck them out if they'd finished, if they'd made the semis and, you know, got, if they'd have made a semi, they'd have got 40,000 people into the football stadium or wherever to go and watch them. And it would have been fairly hard to throw them out. Yeah, yeah. that's right. It's an interesting time, I suppose, isn't it? Because they do use the record to very much turf them. But, yeah, it's, it's just a weird one. I mean, the Bears were successful the whole 90s, essentially, yeah. and they still got, got the arse. It's a, it's a difficult, difficult one to put your finger on. But it, it's a shame. It would have been interesting to see what happened. Yeah, they, it's probably a mark of how emotional it was for the club as well that they managed to, with that side, pick themselves up and make that big start of the year, albeit they, you know, not having enough to quite go on with it. Um, well, you wonder, actually, you do, it, flowing on from that, you know, yeah. the, the caruana's not a bad comment, you know, he went and got a job and got a, a game when they came back. I wonder if there's some guys in there that sort of knew that if South went, they might not have a have a position. Like if that one, They wouldn't get picked through, up by another yeah, club. You, no, if no, there's going to be less teams and, yeah. and your team goes, so you're without a job and they're also, you know, they've amalgamated teams. There's going to be less teams in the competition around this era than there has been. I wonder if a few of them just thought, you know, that I'm probably not going to get picked up and we've got to, if we, we need, if I want to play football, I want to have this as my job or we this need to win games and we need to be there. Yeah, it may well not, have been the case. And it's funny, not all of them, but a lot no, of them. But, but you t- a lot How many of else got picked up? You know? Well, that's a good question. Right? <laughs> but... When you think about, um, like there's a lot of talk now about football as kind of being these mercenaries and it doesn't matter which club they're with and all of this, whether by sentiment or by necessity, that wasn't the case with this South side. They, they needed no. to be successful this year with this club. Um, yeah, and and you do see a bit of that in the effort that they come up with in the last 10 minutes. Um, it, it sort of starts, they make a couple of breaks and then Craig Wing, um, there's a real near miss. This could have been an absolute moment in the game. Craig Wing jumps from the field of play, catches a ball in the in goal, mm. uh, and is called back to for a, to make a dropout. Uh, mm. Sorry for not a dropout, a, a twenty tap. Yeah. Yeah. Trouble being that as, he if, already, as if he jumped from the field of play. Yeah, as if he as if he caught it in goal. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, he jumped from the field of play, but they acted like he didn't. Yeah, and he's off down the wing, and he's got one to beat, and he's going to a fair chance of scoring, uh, and they mm. call it back. It's really good quote from Fatty. I, I'm sure you would have noticed this. He says, no doubt about it. He went from in the field of play, uh, collected it back in uh, the, the, the other joint down the end, and away he went. <laughs> yeah, it is quite good, isn't it? Yeah. It's, uh, I, I love Fatty. I love Fatty. 
yeah. He at least owns up to it. I think still, I yeah. think we at least nearly understood what you meant, which is yeah. a good chat. And then one of the great moments, I, I was on my feet for this with six to go. Ricky Stewart feeds a scrum and he feeds it into someone's shin and it bounces out and Souths fall on the ball. It's one of the best against the feed scrums I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. It's, I feel like the luckiest man alive because like we've watched two games in a row that have, have had seminal moments near the end have been decided by scrum feeds going the wrong way in like late 90s to mid-2000s rugby league, not, not like when there's no contested scrum. No. You keep plugging games and ending up repeatedly watching games where they've had the scrum go against the feet. I love it. Just, I, I love them. Yeah, I live for it. Yeah, they, they then, a couple of players later, make a spectacular series of fumbles where three players in a row, they get this extraordinary piece of luck and then three players in a row fumble the ball, the last one of them knocking it on. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's real comedy capers and they end up, that, that's their 17th error of the game. And you sort of say, oh, well, they, they've had a bit of luck. They, they're not, you know, they're still yeah. not going to win. They're going to be get it's, Everything points to gallant in defeat, doesn't it? Yeah, Bears defeat, sort of gallant yeah. in it. But it is, it's so funny because they make 17 errors and they're not playing, like you couldn't really say, oh, they threw caution to the wind to play expensively. They just kept dropping the ball. Half <laughs> yeah. of them were a dummy half and on, but like they weren't going, oh, they're trying all this crazy stuff on, no. you know, like chancing their hand and it keeps going, you know, sort of the league equivalent of trying to hit winners down the line and just missing. It wasn't like that. Like no. They just kept making basic errors. It, it's so funny that they did so well, it, you know, I, just for whatever reason, they just the dogs didn't throw much at him, did they? During this period, they dropped the ball. Canterbury threw nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing happens. Yeah. They just. They just never. Yeah. That nothing. They never. There are no big runs. There are no half breaks. Like it just. Yeah. They. They just don't create anything. They just don't try to win to sort of win the game. They just wait for the game to be over, uh, yeah. and then four to go. There's a hook, there's a break down the right from Lee Hooky. Another great thing in rugby league. The boot goes flying and he's running with a sock. Yeah. Um, the they end up with that, uh, that play. That that play just I yeah. I enjoyed it more than more than you've allowed. Well, it needs more expression. Oh, sure, than that. Take, I just take, think, take it away because yeah, you're right. But it's so good because um, it starts off with one of these wonderful like really bad commentary calls because like Matt Parsons plays the ball and Rab starts really going off. Don't do something silly in Matt and really going him. And then when he then picks up plays the ball, Rab's just going, oh, someone's got someone's got to settle this down. Someone's got to settle this down here." And then they just go bang short side, bang short side. Parsons fly down the wing like the direct opposite he says someone's got to settle this and next minute they've thrown three <laughs> real quick handballs on the blind and then goes Lee Hookie just absolutely flying to the backfield and I, I just um god you've undersold this it's so funny because firstly he's running and he's in clear space the boot comes off with no one near him no one touches it it just oh, flies, it just off. flies off never see this in modern football now right. ever it, it, and it flies off um when his heel clicks up, so it flies off in a random direction. So he's running, he's in his boot fly and he keeps running, but really, really badly unable to run at much pace. He's got one boot. One boot. <laughs> he's limping down the field with the one boot. And then Rod Silver goes for the cover tackle and somehow with one boot on, he breaks the tackle. So he breaks the tackle and falls over. So he like beats Silver, falls over, but he's in the clear again and then gets back up off the deck quite slowly and then starts hobbling downfield again on the one boot before the cover gets him again. And yeah. I just, I don't think anything can sum up this game or South Sydney at that time better than yep. this. No, you're right. Like, 
it's look think for a moment i know they don't score here but think how we've talked about all of the bulldogs attacking plays like silver skiving in through the field ricky stewart's class turning back into the ruck or the long ball to brad clyde and then the south equivalent is this like busted three pass down the blind lee hooky one booted lee hooky breaking tackles falling over and getting back up and stumbling off down the field for the prize it's just comedy like it's just that there's no plan or yeah it's you're right. It would never happen now. It's just like ragtag, like madness. Yeah. yeah. And then they swing it out to the left incredibly slowly. And Cray Wing ends up on the wing, falls over in the corner, and they pull him back. They go to the video ref board, which said no try scrum. But then the ref, Hampstead calls it back 30 metres back upfield because when Lee Hooky was running with the one boot, someone cleaned up Brett Rodwell. So the, the yeah. Rabbits get a penalty 30 out probably 15 in from touch. There's a binning. Someone gets, who is it? Willie Talao gets Willie binned. Talao. Mm. Yeah. And there's two minutes to go. And suddenly, they're going to have a crack. Like, they're going to have a, as good a chance as they'll ever get to win this game. It's 14-12. Um, and can you talk us through what, what they do? 30 out in front, two behind. Now, there's no golden point, admittedly. But two minutes to go, 30 metres out, not out wide. Can you talk us about this? Really, three options at this point. Take the well, goal. Yeah, talk yeah. us through it. Okay. Well, the first one you could do is you could kick the goal. Um, and if you did that, there would feasibly have been a kickoff, I think. It's fair to say. There wouldn't have been much time, but I think there'd have been a kickoff yet. Yeah? Enough time. Yeah. Am I right in that? Yep. Okay. So you'd have kicked the goal and given yourself a chance to, you're not going to lose and you might have an outside chance of winning. Yep. Um, the other thing you could do is you're 30 metres out from the try line you could kick the ball 15, 20 metres and be 10 out and have a full set. Yep. Um, and if you didn't score, you might have got the drop out in, maybe not, hard to say, but you'd have had five tackles, 10 out. Well, the third thing you could do is you could just decide to have the ball 20 metres further back from the try line than you could have the ball. Yeah. And you could tap it and spend three tackles getting to the spot that you would have taken the first tap from if you kicked it out. Yes. Which one do you reckon they take? I know for a fact that they did the latter. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And look, just quickly, as I could understand, I understand why if you're 20 out, you might not want to be five out, like the idea of sure. kicking it and running out of space. But at 30 out, like they spend the first two tackles getting just to getting to where they could where you still, yeah, yeah. You still have a full 10 metres to attack from, from there. Uh, it, it's bizarre. It's about 35 out. So you really, they do spend three tackles hitting it up to where they yeah. could have gone. For two attacks yeah. instead of having five attacks, yeah. Yes, yeah. Like they literally then go well. Let they don't put on a play from thirty-five out. They literally then blunt instrument hit up the ball to where they could have had the start from. And then in a beautiful moment of what this game's about and what kind of game it is, it doesn't matter because Ricky Stewart knocks the ball down and they get a scrum. Mm. Yeah, now, yeah. Intercept, attempted intercept. Yeah, yeah. Rabs. I'd like to see Ricky in ninety-eight go the distance. I'd like oh, to see absolutely Lee Just... Hooky in one shoe coming after. <laughs> I back. I reckon Hooky in one shoe gets Ricky. He looks much so. quick. <laughs> I think that's probably right. Um, Rabs at this moment, absolute Nostradamus, and it's a wonderful statement. Like if you just think about this as a statement in any game of football, Trindle and Dunaman and Wing become the important players now. Mm, all the yeah. spine players, yeah. yeah. Apart you're, from Sean Carley, your money yeah. men, your absolute ice men. Tricky Trindle and Andrew Dunerman. Um, it turns out to be prophetic, of course. D- was I in some kind of K-hole 
or did the rabbits execute a mousetrap from the base of the scrum? I don't know if you can execute one from the base of the scrum because I think the mousetrap is premised on there being a play the ball, but they, yeah, it looked like one. They definitely, someone ran out of the scrum without picking the ball up at the back, yeah. And then someone else came in and picked yeah. the ball up. Mm, it didn't do anything much. No. How much, how much work do you think went into that over the off-season? Do you think that was one of the real projects for Tugger Commons? Like, no, boys, this will throw them. Like, we're going to... Because yeah. you're right, nothing happens. It doesn't really yeah, create well, anything. And, I have to defend it because I'm incredibly pro mousetrap, as you know. So I think there's yeah. no cleverer thing you can do to really just get inside people's heads than to run a mousetrap. We haven't yeah. seen one. The last one was Carl Lawton did it for the Warriors in the last year or the year before. Yeah. Um, was the last one I've seen. That was possibly the first one in a few seasons. And certainly he's gone to better and sort of greater places since that Absolutely. moment. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I'd sort say it's probably living rep in, conversations, probably, doesn't it? Probably living in Tamworth now, I'd imagine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is the greatest place of all. Yeah. yeah. No, it, and then how would you describe this final play? I'll describe it literally, and then you can tell us kind of a, there is nothing to suggest that they're going to score. And then for some reason, Tricky Trindle gets it at first receiver, gives it to do like just runs sideways, gives it to Duneman, who also kind of runs sideways. He gets tackled, sort of bumps, turns around, gives it back to Tricky Trindle. And for some reason, They've got numbers and Craig Wing's in the clear on the wing mm. and goes over to score. I don't know how it happens. Look, the, the only... I suppose they've I got a man down. Yeah, that's the only thing I was going to say, but they don't do anything to create an overlap. Like, you don't just score because there's 12 on the field. When you're running sideways, all you've got to do is slide with him and then you're not in an overlap. Like, yeah. They didn't, they didn't mark up and draw a man and draw a man and draw a man. They literally had the ball, ran across, ran across, and ended up very short. Like, wing doesn't go close to being touched. It's, um, it's one of the most, I think, I don't mean this in a bad way, but no. in terms of just it wasn't, shouldn't have happened, it's one of the most bland or, like, how did they just get a try out of that winning yeah. tries I've seen. Um, apart from that really cooked one, that the Knights did against the Storm after after the Waddell strip on Slater when they then score yeah, by playing right. the best team of the era and run three block plays and just happen to score for no reason on the wing. Block, 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 try. With, um, this was with, similar where you go... Yeah. Um, I forget who scored that. I can't remember. You are, too, But um, it was off... To give Wade, listeners yeah. an idea, Cade Snowden was up in the line playing the James Graham role, kind of passing out the back, mm. if that gives you any yeah. idea what kind of play it was. Yeah, but block yeah, plays the Sione Matata and blocks out to the wing. It's, it's like that where you just go okay, they just did nothing particularly special there and just kept passing the ball. And for some reason, there's a gap on the wing at a time where people fall asleep in games, but with like this amount of time left, yeah. you might have suggested that have been fairly switched on and they just go to sleep or something. It's bizarre. It really and is. the funny thing about it is that the bloke who ends up trying to make the cover tackle isn't even the fullback. It's Steve Price. Yeah, there's a bit of that in the game, though, isn't there? There's sort of signs of, of why he was such a good player. Oh, absolutely. Cover tackles and chases. Of because I, I, I yeah. watched it back on the replay. He, he's in line with, with Trindle when Trindle mm. passes to Craig Wing. And Steve Price yeah. manages to get to the corner at the same time and nearly bundle him into touch. Yeah, yeah we mentioned him chasing hooky before and stuff and making a line. There's a lot of suggestions that he's doing all of the little stuff right, combined with being quite talented, which you get yeah. guys who are both, one or the other, but both is when you really be remembered by people, I think, yeah. longer term. And, but you're right, it's just um, unusual. And I'll tell you another thing that's unusual about it is that it's a fairly carbon copy of the no try before where they yeah. did this. So they just 
when Wing gets tackled out in the corner and it goes to the video ref, they essentially telegraph this play. Like, they rerun it. They spread the ball across the field. I know it's not <laughs> rocket science anyway, but spreading it to the winger. But what I mean is they needed to score with two minutes to go and put exactly this play on. And then they do it again with, you know, just before the siren. So you might have sort of thought that you'd think this, it was coming. This might, they yeah. might go after that left-hand side of Craig Wing again. Yeah. And not to okay. mention that the other centre was the one that was off. The, to, to, like the, yeah, the, the centre missing is from the other side. So I just want to make sure listeners are aware that they didn't score on the side of the field that the, the centre was off. So the centre and winger were out there and weren't on the centre and winger, if that makes sense. Gavin Lester just strange. kind of comes flying in from, from yeah. the wing and ends up about 20 metres infield trying to tackle Dunerman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got it. To be fair, you can't give Dunham time to think of that, that long to go. That's right. Well, not he's probably he's probably been watching highlights of the nineteen ninety two Commonwealth Bank Cup through <laughs> the week. All. Yeah, um, <laughs> good work from. They go to the video for this try. Um, good to see the board again. Well, I don't know, but <laughs> has there? Here's a question for you: Has there ever been a try scored which goes to the video and which has a question mark over one of the passes? for which the, one of the commentators hasn't said, just remember they can't rule on, the video ref can't rule on the forward pass. No, it's obligatory. You have to say you it, don't to. you? You can't, yeah. it can't be taken as assumed. In case there's one person no. out there who doesn't know that rule, which has been in place since the video ref came in. I think there were two years where, they allowed that, where you were allowed to judge it. Mm. But you have to mention it. Yeah, you do. One one of my favourite things about them is when you get a guy try and pass. That you can't do it in this situation where there's not, you know, any any knock on or something. But when you get a guy try clearly passing the ball, but it does go forward, but it bounces at some point, they immediately try and like legalistically work around the rules to call it a knock on to avoid the farce of awarding a try. Like you know, yeah, you know the ones I mean. Like yeah, a guy yeah, tries yeah. to pass, passing motion, it slips and it might have gone forward. And as soon as it bounces, even though it's clearly a pass, you get knock them immediately on. trying to bend it into a knock-on to, to get around, like, farcically giving a try that has every reason to be awarded under the rules. Which kind of, yeah. I love those, yeah. That's quite good. I, I just like that, that that rule had to be mentioned. But then there are kind of wonderful scenes at the end of this game, aren't they? Tricky Trindle misses mm. the kick for goal. It's the best celebration of a miss I've ever seen. But he shanks mm. the hell out of the kick. It lands five yards short of the goalposts in the field of play. And then he just throws the arm and the Souths fans are off their heads. They just, it's, it's absolute. And Rab says grand final jubilation, but it is, it's, it's quite manic excitement of around one victory and a mark of yeah, how big well, a deal it was. Oh, look, I really enjoyed that. I thought it was great to see, cause that's what football was like for me growing up. Um, yeah. I went to all the Knights games as a kid, um, every home game from, you know, the early 90s right through to, to sort of now. And in the 90s, that's what it was like. It, I don't never remember if the, the crowds were usually bigger than that at Marathon, but that's what it was yeah. like. You had these guys there. There wasn't casual fans like there are now. You had these really hardcore group of people who looked forward to every Saturday going to watch their team and they, they lived and died by it. And you'd be there. I was there with my grandparents and other people. And you'd, there was people there that that's what they did. That was their weekend. And it meant so much to them. And when the, you know, the Knights got a, a big win, when they weren't great over someone they should, this is how it felt. And this is what people were like. And, and the Sydney clubs are even more passionate some of those foundation yeah. clubs if anything that those guys and some of the, the dragons fans and and those clubs um they just love it and at balmain was like that and and those i thought it was lovely i mean you know i know it's a commercial sport now and 
things have changed and had to, and it's not quite like it was, and you can't maybe survive with 3,000 hardcore, you know, weirdos like us going to the game yeah. and living and breathing by ground one, round one, but it doesn't mean you can't lament it going and, and, and look back fondly on it, because it, yeah. it was. It was a lovely time for all the horrible things that went on in the game. Every memory I have of going to games, this is what it was like, like getting your yeah. team to get a win like this. You know, you go, you play, ah, oh, we hate Brisbane and bloody Manly and all these clubs that won and yeah, come yeah, to town yeah. and you get them and you beat them. And the Bulldogs are another or St. George and you beat them and that's how you feel. You, you know, shove this up, yeah. You know, yeah. like our sort of rubbish team or Absolutely. team that's going to run eighth to twelfth has just beaten you and it was lovely and it, it's so, great. Football's about. Absolutely right. And they, it is, um, that those, those, that that big bloke that you see on the, at the end there throwing his hands about with his hands up. That's what the, those people are, are who the game is actually for. They're the they're the people the game actually belongs to. And, That's right. Yeah. And no matter what the suits at Rugby League Central or whatever it is say, no matter what they do, those are the people that w- without whom Rugby League would not exist. That's right. And, and will not continue to exist. That, that's right. Yeah. They're the people who have kept the game going and they're the people who, without whom Rugby League won't exist because you can't, you can't just cater to the people in snackbacks who go to the to the big bash league and who will be into basketball this year and soccer next year and cricket the year after and maybe rugby league the year after. You, without those people who were there watching Souths the year they were about to get kicked out of the comp after finishing between 9th and 18th every year for a decade, you, the game, there is no rugby league. That's exactly right. And it is, it's, you're exactly right. It's the people, you know, um, I went to every home game of the year, the Knights lost 13 games in a row. Um, And you need the people that were there in that and through these South things are what you need. There'll be people that go to Knights games now because Caelan Pong is playing. And there'll be people that went to South games because they signed Greg Inglis and they they won a competition. And there's nothing wrong with that. You're allowed to be casual about the game, but you need, the people that are there thick and thin through all of this and that it means so much too. You can't afford to, they, ha, they have been taken for granted by the sport for a long time and they, they can't afford to be. You need them there. You need, that's where that passion comes from. That passion is what brings those other people to the game for that atmosphere and that feeling. And, and that's fine for people to be casual fans and not having a go at people for that, but you need, you, you need these people and they need to be looked after by the sport and stop just going after the next person to come and watch the sport well yeah you're going for the people that have just watched the last dance and will now be watching the basketball for three months they'll see a Kalen Ponga win some games and they'll come to a Knights game they'll go to the soccer when they bring a guy out from me and you to play for a you know to play for one of the A-League clubs and yeah that's fine but that's not going to sustain your sport long term and that's and when when the you know when the league kicked South out Mm. they said to those people that you see at the end of this game, completely off their heads about a round one win over Canterbury. They said to all those people, we don't need you. We don't want you. We can, we're, we're, we're leaving you behind. We've got to, we're, we're chasing somebody else. Um, and that's the kind of, that's the absolute, um, that, that, that's the absolute shame of that decision. And, and the kind of, the magic of them then being readmitted. And, you know, I just don't know how anybody could think that the comp is better would be better off without Souths. I, just, I, I can't fathom it. There's too much. There's too much history in the club. There's too much. There's too much heritage. Yeah, they were in a terrible state in 1999, but um, they, you know, they yeah, I think yeah. Oh, they they you know they've been able to write themselves, and and football's a lot better for the fact that they have. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a couple of things to that, and it's firstly is that 
if you designed a sport, you wouldn't design it the way we've got it, where you have all no. of these teams in a small geographical area that cannibalise each other and no teams anywhere else. Like you wouldn't start that now, but you can't replace history. We are, we do have to make it work with what we've got. You, you can't just not have South because that's not how you design it. If we started rugby league right now, yeah, we wouldn't put East and South next to each other and, you know, nine teams in Sydney yeah, or of course. whatever they used to have. You wouldn't start like that, but you can't replace the history now it's there. No. You have to make it work as well as you can. And the other thing is that we talk about money in sport and there's a lot of money in sport, but what are you making money for? So I'm not saying we should get all these clubs running bankrupt and just bail them out. There's, there's a line and that, that's a problem. But what are you making the money for? You as a code make all of this money and if you're not using it to help you know have south strong and have Parramatta strong and be able to have a tigers and have these clubs that that bring all that history to the game what are you making it for like what's the point of making the money this isn't supposed to be an activity it's not coca-cola you're not just no, trying to make more money it's for not your, a commercial fundamentally fundamentally it is not a commercial it is not a commercial entity sport is a yeah. sport is a social is, is of social value not of commercial yeah. value. Commercial value is incidental and it allows you to get the best athletes to play your sport and make it a better game and all of that, sure. But th that, that stuff is secondary to the fact that your most loyal supporters need to have a team and, and need to be looked after. Yeah, that, that's right. And they, that's they the own it. Is, yeah. And you've got to, you know, where it's a patchwork situation where at some point, again, especially with all this going on at the moment with the coronavirus and everything, how, how all the Sydney clubs survive and, and move. It's a, it's a live question, but you have to use the money and your resources to try and make all the history of the game work as well as you can and to make it work better. And that's not of a license to give money to the idiots that run a lot of the clubs. That's not like, it's the, it's the yeah, fans we're thinking about. Not, not that yeah, yeah. a lot of idiots have run these clubs and maybe the competition the ground, more yeah. say. Yeah. And you, maybe they need more say in that and to work a way that they make sure stuff's spent wisely. But the bottom line is if you run a competition, if we come back to this in 30 years and start watching classic games from 2030 and it's the Titans playing against the Perth, new Perth side that they bring in, it won't yeah. be the same as watching no. South Sydney play against in games against Canterbury, whether it be in a preliminary final like the Hain one or the 98 one, or whether it be this sort of game, like, you know, the Canterbury, Parramatta sort of games or, or South Bulldogs, those yeah. things, the history yeah. can't be bought. You can't no. make it up. It comes naturally and they need to do what they can within the realms of being practical to make these things work. Yeah. Well put. I couldn't, I couldn't agree. Couldn't agree more. Uh, I just want to share with you, just before we finish up, I'm indebted to Alex Clark, uh, a friend of the show, who's got onto the, the Facebook page and posted the Monday League sports pages from the Daily Telegraph from the day after this game. Uh, I just want to bring you the headline, Souths hail a new messiah. Coleman's boys have right stuff. Who is the messiah? I think Craig Coleman. Good, okay. <laughs> I was not sure they were putting the win on for a second because it was very... I was hoping it might be winning in the corner or, or tricky. George Piggins, uh, there's an article by Dean Ritchie, says history suggests South Sydney will flourish this season, according, according to passionate club chairman George Piggins. Speaking after mm. his side's 16-14 win over Canterbury at the SFS yesterday, Piggins said, in South's history, we seem to do, everything, uh, do something every 10 years. 
that's not necessarily the argument I'd have run with if you were trying to get them kept when they're debating kicking them out. I wouldn't have necessarily gone to the NRL and said, you know what, once every 10 years, this will be really on. Yeah. But um, it's good. I think George Pickens is someone you can go to for an objective view when it comes to South and their chances. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's exactly really good right. Chat, it is good. Yeah. We're a bit, he, he, he does point out we're a bit late this decade. <laughs> good. It's yeah. quite good. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I thought uh, I thought you'd like that, but yes, thank you, Alex Clark, for that. I, I also enjoyed the article down the down the side column about um, Rocket Rod Jensen's battle with Wendell Saylor, um, mm. which was quite good yeah. as well. Well, that bores out. I don't know how Rocket Rod Jensen voted in the recent best players since 1990 poll, where Dell got best winger, but he liked yeah. to think he wasn't too far behind. I tell you what, I, yeah, I'd like to know if Rocket Rod was ever considered for uh, Player Bachelor of the Year. Just an aside, uh, on the Pete other Jensen side of this. Was. Yeah, well, that's right. Melbourne skipper Glenn Lazarus believes his front row spot, even his front row spot, is not safe after Wayne Evans added to the Storm's big jam of forward talent on Friday night. And he went on with it, didn't he, Wayne Evans? I, I don't know who I... Yeah, Evans, yeah, a form, no. per, formerly of the Perth Reds, was the outstanding yeah. player for the Storm uh, in their Penrith Olympic the, uh, the Reds system did have a lot of good props. And... Yeah, well, that's right. Notorious nursery for front rowers. Anyway, yeah, um, I love that. It's good to... Thank you, Alex Clark, for, for providing that. I also want to thank uh, a friend of the show. Uh, where is it? Rod Anderson, who says, please, with Bradley Clyde and Ricky Stewart in the side, no contest. Um, yeah, anyway. <laughs> there were a few South people got quite upset about that. <laughs> well, we always, it's, not, it's not an unfair comment, though. <laughs> yeah. We do enjoy, uh, we, we do enjoy people's uh, contributions on the Facebook page. Let us know if you... So next week, we're going to do North Sydney versus the Knights from 1997, the preliminary final. Mm. Everybody remembers... This will be the authoritative, unbiased account of that. Absolutely. Game. Everybody remembers Darren Albert in, in the 97 grand final. But what people don't remember is that that probably should never have been allowed to happen. And mm. if things had only got a little differently... In the preliminary final, Darren Albert would have never had the chance to make that run. Um, so that's next week. Let us know your memories of that game. We'll put something up through the week. We're also, of course, going to post the, the sprint off. Um, plenty to look forward to on the Rugby League Cemetery Facebook page this week. Uh, Gazzy, any final, any final thoughts? I think we'll wrap it up. I reckon that's about right. Thank you as always. Hope you've enjoyed it. Until next time on the Rugby League Cemetery. Yes, he can. Trindle gets it away. Yes, he can.